0: In New York, call 8778-HOPE-N-Y or text HOPE-N-Y. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21+. plus Age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources.
1: The Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. Every single year that the Bruce Exclusive has been a podcast, the Buffalo Bills have gone into their bye week with a heartbreaking loss on the last play of the game. So this one's on me, guys. This one's on me. I don't know what to tell you. The Bruce Exclusive has only been a podcast for two years, so the sample size is small. But we don't care about sample sizes, right? Who cares? So if three games is a trend, is three years a trend? If it happens again next year, then we should be worried, I guess? (laughs) Welcome to the Bruce Exclusive. Thanks for joining me. I know that a lot less people will listen to this because it's coming off the loss than they historically will when it's coming off a victory. I get that which is a shame when you think about it because I think some of the better pods I've had an opportunity to be a part of, whether they're my show or other people's shows, have happened after a loss. So it's a shame that that happens, but I fully expect it to happen. The thing that's interesting to me about the Titans game is that there's a lot more narratives after a loss than after a win. And so pods like mine that kind of give everything a chance to settle and then address the narratives have a lot more to talk about. But overwhelmingly, the comments and the emails and things that I got were about processing loss and processing heartbreak and things like that. And I think that's interesting because when you went into this year and you were doing specific schedule predictions, most people had the bills not going undefeated. The vast majority of people did not have the Bills going 17-0 this year. So they would have a loss either to the Chiefs or the Bucks or the Titans or all three. And I think that's interesting because then when it happens, you're all of a sudden not really all with it when it comes to the whole, okay, it's understandable, it's logical, we move on. When it's the preseason and you're making predictions, you're completely fine with it. When it actually happens then we lose our marbles. And it just goes to show you how much of prisoners of the moment we can be. We are. We are prisoners of the moment. We can't feel anything outside of our particular feelings in that specific instance. And we react to that. Sometimes that leads to good decisions and sometimes that leads to bad decisions. But the thing that I want to start off talking about when it comes to the Titans game is that this was the type of game that an inferior team needs to have happen to beat a superior team. This is the type of game where if an inferior team is going to beat a superior team, all these things need to happen. All of the necessary components for the lesser team to win showed up for the Titans. The Bills were doing really well in the first quarter, but they couldn't take advantage in the red zone and score touchdowns, so they let them hang around. One big play, all the a sudden the Titans are up again. Some things that didn't really go the Bills' way in regards to holding calls or lack of holding calls. Things that needed to have happened. The Bills' turnover happened in their own side of the field. The Titans' turnover happened on a deeper pass that did not put the Bills in position. So the ball bounced the Titans' way. That's not the only reason they won. But it's important for us to remember that the reason why football is so popular, one of the reasons why football is so much more popular than baseball, so much more popular than basketball, yes, I'm sorry if you're a basketball person out there, but more people, on average, watch the NFL draft than watch the NBA Finals. You'd rather have... Somebody read names off of a card than watch an actual sport. That's how dominant the NFL is. One of the reasons it's that dominant is because of this idea of any given Sunday. It's supply and demand. You have 17 games, that's it. There are plenty of people out there who haven't missed a Bills game in decades. They have watched it on TV or watch it live wherever they were for decades. There are a lot less people who've watched every basketball game. There's even less people who've watched every baseball game. Supply and demand matters. And with supply and demand, the lower supply, comes any given Sunday. We've talked about this before. The best team in the NFL does not always win the Super Bowl. In fact, there's plenty of times when I don't think the best team in the NFL wins the Super Bowl. Because it's one-game playoffs. Anything can happen. So we accept that. But then when it actually happens, we draw these crazy conclusions about it. Anything can happen. Anybody can beat anybody. The Jets beat the Titans who beat the Bills. So does that mean the Jets are than the Bills? Of course not. But we just kind of accept this in the moment. We know it's not true. But we accept it anyway. If the Bills get one more foot on that fourth down, how much different do you feel? Probably a lot different. You feel a lot different. Even though 99.9999% of that game was exactly the same. Only that one foot was different. But it changes your feelings on it. When you were predicting the Bills' schedule, were the Titans not one of the top three teams you thought the Bills could lose to? Was it not Chiefs Bucks, Titans, maybe Saints? Did you not look at those teams and go, okay, those are ones the Bills could drop. And then it happens by a foot and we lose our ever living mind. We have established on this podcast that I am not going to rant and rave and yell and scream and demand people get fired after every loss. That's not what I do. But I think it's interesting that specifically this loss to this team in this fashion is having such strong knee-jerk reactions. Stronger even, potentially, than the Steelers lost week one, which I definitely think is interesting. In regards to the go call on fourth down, Josh Allen is 13 of 14 in those situations, and the one he didn't convert was a botched snap. That was all over social media. All over social media. 13 of 14 in that exact situation. The defense had effectively allowed six scores in a row. The only thing that stopped the Titans after the first quarter was the clock dinging at halftime. That's it. Because it wasn't the Bills. The Bills didn't stop them. They just ran out of time. So the Bills weren't stopping them. So you have 13 of 14 to get a first down, or you have 50-50 on the coin toss. Those are your options. If you are listening to this podcast and you are not in favor of going for it on that fourth down, I understand. I disagree. 13 to 14 to get it. 50-50 if you kick the field goal and go to overtime. Now, there's another sub-question alongside this that we're not talking about enough that one of my listeners was kind enough to DM me about. Aaron told me, okay, let's talk about this. So it's not just, should you go for it? Because that's one binary decision. But then after that, if you're going through like a flow chart, it's should I go for it? Yes, no. If yes, then how should I go for it? By what method should I go for it? And that's where I think, quite frankly, there's a more interesting discussion to be had about the Bills-Titans game and the way it ended. It's not should they have gone for it. It's what type of play should they call? What type of play should they call in that situation? Because... It wasn't fourth and goal on the inch yard line. You weren't an inch or two away from the goal line. If you were, then you probably would have seen Josh Allen reach the ball over the goal line and pull it back, go over the top because you're really long. You got those long arms. You can pull that off. You shouldn't do that in the field of play because the ball can get knocked out without the play being dead. If you're at the goal line, then when the ball crosses the goal line, the play is over. So the second it crosses the goal line, even if someone knocks it out, it's still over. So the more apt question for me is not whether or not they should have gone for it. I think they absolutely should have gone for it. The more apt question is, should they have done that? Or should they have recognized, hey, we're at the three. Let's go for a touchdown. We're at the three. Because if I convert it, then I've still got... You know, a little bit of time, less than a minute, but a little bit of time. But they're going to be expecting the sneak. Offensive line hasn't played great today. It's a thought. But if he hadn't run the sneak and it would have failed, then we would probably all be talking right now about whether or not they should have lined up and just gone for a sneak. So I think that's the far more interesting conversation. I personally am cool with the sneak because you had timeouts. You could have gotten it gotten a timeout and then recalibrated for your low red zone plays. But the most important thing at that point was just getting a couple inches and you had a scenario where you had converted it well over 90% of the time in the past. So I'm completely cool with sneaking it, knowing you have timeouts. Now, if they had 30 seconds and no timeout, I probably wouldn't be in favor of it because Josh Allen would get caught under the pile. He'd have to get up and spike the ball at that point. Or he'd have to call a play on the fly, or they already had a play called and ready for it, but people will sit on you, it takes a long time to get out of the pile, you don't know if the ref's going to give you the benefit of delay again, someone holds you down, things like that. But given the fact that the Bills had timeouts, I'm completely cool with the sneak, get the first down, call a timeout, and then go from there. But I think it's a far more interesting conversation as far as what the Bills should have done, as far as what style of play should they have gone for, rather than should they have gone for it or not. The other thing that's interesting to me about this game is that the most sacked quarterback in the NFL coming to the game was Ryan Tannehill. The pass rush barely sniffed him. They sold out to stop Derrick Henry, which is fine if you stop Derrick Henry. Now, some people will say, Okay, well, he got one big run. Without that one big run, okay, but he did get that big run. Derrick Henry gets bottled up, bottled up, bottled up, breaks a big run all the time. That's not unusual. The difference between the Buffalo Bills in history versus Derrick Henry and the Buffalo Bills this time against Derrick Henry is he broke the long one this time. He didn't last time. But that's pretty much Derrick Henry's style. That's not an unusual thing. So you can say, oh, well, the Bills shut down Derrick Henry. No, the Bills did what a lot of people do to Derrick Henry, which is you sell out and you keep him from getting momentum downhill, and then he breaks a big one for 70 yards. That's not an uncommon Derrick Henry day. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We've got emails to go through. Stick with me. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, and thank you for joining me for this edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. We talked about some of the narratives that have come out of the game from Monday night against the Titans. The should we have gone for it on fourth down narrative, the Derrick Henry narrative. Now we're going to go through a couple of the emails that I've gotten that I think are interesting. The first one comes from Steven. And he says, hey, Bruce, this will be long. So if you decide not to read it, I'll totally understand. I did read it. I've been listening to your pod since the Nick and Nolan days. And although I rarely contribute, I enjoy every episode. I tweeted a while back that you could make a pod about knitting and I'd still listen because your perspective on life in general is so fascinating. Sometimes I wish I had a similar outlook on life, but I fall into the negative mindset way too often, especially regarding Bill's losses. After last night's heartbreaker, I found myself going toward that pit of despair and remembered your words of wisdom. So I gathered myself, thought about it for a minute and said, well, that sucked. Let's move on. I then got up, put on a smile, more like just not a frown, but give me a break. I'm still learning. And went downstairs to join my family. As I reached the bottom of my stairs, I saw my wife sobbing. Her birthday was the following day. And last year on her birthday, she discovered her father had terminal cancer and he would pass on Christmas Eve just a few months later. Her mom also died of cancer when my wife was six years old. So this was obviously a very painful time. My wife was aware that I get so emotionally invested in bills games that she wouldn't even bother me in her biggest time of need. In that moment, I realized how little these stupid outcomes matter in life and started to wonder how much of my life I've missed choosing to be miserable over something that is out of my control. So thank you. No matter how much hate you get on Twitter on a daily basis, there are some people like me listening that your words find and make a difference in people's lives. Even though it's not a big deal to some, That moment allowed me to be with my wife as she suffered through some heartbreaking memories instead of me sulking in a dark room thinking my life had ended over a trivial game. I hope this is encouraging to you the way that you encourage others. Thank you sincerely, Steve. I'm going to read this next one back to back because it's related. John says, hey Bruce. I've been a listener of your podcast since the beginning and the Twitter follower shortly thereafter. While your football takes have always been insightful, I find your perspective about the parts of your life that you've chosen to share to be very and inspiring. You seem like a guy with a good head on your shoulders. Case in point, while many of us took the loss on Monday very hard, you shared this tweet about how you vowed to never let sports ruin your day. I actually have made this vow many times during my fandom, and I failed miserably every time. For me, ever since the Bills became a a contender again, game day has been a stressful situation. I feel nervous about a few hours before and during the games. If the Bills win, I'm happy and pumped, but I feel exhausted from the anxiety, as though I was a player on the field. And if the Bills lose, it feels like something absolutely terrible happened. It puts me in a bad mood, which lasts throughout the remainder of the day, and sometimes the day after as well. Night games? Forget it. I can't get any sleep. And if I do, I usually wake up thinking about the loss, which makes the next morning miserable from a poor night's sleep. After reading comments on social media from Bills fans, I know I'm not the only one who has these extreme emotions over something as innocuous and insignificant to my life as a sporting event. Obviously, I know the outcome of a Bills game should not have a big impact on my life, but every Sunday, I'm finding that it does. So I'm asking the resident eccentric recluse for some advice for myself and to Bills Mafia going into this bye week. Do you have any tips or strategies that have helped you keep a positive mindset and overall perspective so that these tough losses don't feel so devastating? And more importantly, so that we can enjoy what looks to be a fairly promising season of Bills football. Thank you and keep up the great work, John. So I want to read these two back to back because this is something that we have talked about before on this podcast. We have talked about perspective in Bills games. I've shared with you a lot of what gives me perspective. What I have found is that for a lot of people, things that were at one point hobbies are no longer hobbies anymore. They're addictions. They're not hobbies anymore. They, they start as hobbies. Hobbies are things that are meant to enrich your life and give you positive outcomes. They're things where you can exhibit your creativity or your interests. Most people do not have a vocation that piques those things for them. So the hobbies serve a valuable purpose for a lot of people to be able to scratch a creative itch, perhaps, to be able to unwind, to be able to bring joy. But they are almost entirely net positives. This is important. Hobbies are net positives. A lot of times, the only drawback to a hobby is you don't get to do it enough or it costs too much money. Those are really the only two major drawbacks to a hobby. But for a lot of people, things that were at one point hobbies or were originally intended as hobbies are now addictions. They're things that they need to have. They have to get their hit. And when they don't, they suffer through withdrawal. And you know what happens when people suffer through withdrawal. I don't have an addictive personality, but I know people who do. And I'm sure you know people who do. That thing that we can sometimes be addicted to is that rush, that rush of a victory. And we need it. And when we don't get it, we actually exhibit the opposite effect, which is the absolute down, the absolute crush. I have said on this podcast before, take all the good stuff from your sports fandom, leave all the bad stuff. You don't have to take the good with the bad. I've mentioned before, when we were talking about character traits versus character flaws. A character trait is something that has an upside and a downside. A character flaw is something that just has a downside. This is a little bit like that in this concept. A hobby is something that's almost entirely upside. An addiction isn't that. Is this really a hobby? Because it's supposed to be a hobby. It's supposed to be fun. That's the point. But we keep doing it. If you keep doing it because you can't stop yourself, but it's not fun, what is it exactly? If you keep doing it, but it's not fun and everyone around you wishes you wouldn't do it, what is it exactly? That's not a hobby anymore. It's an addiction now. That's what it is. If everyone around you wishes you would stop doing it, if your wife wishes you would stop watching football because you're miserable all the time, is that really a hobby? I don't think it's a hobby anymore. And I think that's what happens to us. We intend this to be a hobby. Look at my own situation. So I took up this podcasting because I looked around a couple years ago and I had no hobbies and no social circle. I had busted my rear for so long to try to support my family. And we had gotten to the point now where I had a little free time, but I had sacrificed all of those things and I didn't have any of them anymore. I had no hobbies. I had no social circle and I was like, I I need a hobby. And I still enjoy doing this. If I'm miserable all the time doing this, this is no longer a hobby. Maybe at that point, I'm addicted to the ego. Maybe I just like having people follow me on Twitter. I like seeing my numbers go up. I like someone telling me that they really enjoy my podcast. I need it. I don't even enjoy it. I don't even like it anymore. I'm just doing it for that because I need that hit. It's not even fun. At that point, it's not a hobby anymore. And if that ever happens to me, I'm out. And I refuse to let my fandom be like that. I refuse to have a situation where my wife wishes I wouldn't watch the game. So, Stephen, thank you for your email. John, those are my tips. My tips are to correctly identify what it is exactly your Bills fandom is. Because every single person who's listening to this podcast is a huge Bills fan. You don't listen to this podcast if you're not. The most diehard of diehard superfans are the people who listen to sports podcasts. If you're listening to me, especially someone who's not the most popular podcaster around. If you're listening to mine, you probably already went through a bunch of other people who are way better than me, which means you're begging for content and you're a super-de-duper fan. So we need to evaluate what exactly it is that we're feeling. Is it because you're a fan? Or has your fandom transformed into something else? Something we don't really like as much. That's a lesson that I learned myself, and I hope that you find it valuable. Christopher Nixon says, are the Titans our boogeymen? I mentioned last week on the podcast that the Bills beat the Chiefs and prevented the boogeyman from becoming the boogeyman. I don't think the Titans are our boogeyman. Two losses in a row does not mean they're the boogeyman. I do not like the Titans. I will say that. There's plenty of examples that I've given before on this podcast as to why I actually think the Titans should be the Bills' most significant rival right now. I don't like the Titans, but I'm not going to go as far as to say they're the boogeyman. Justin sent me an email and said, hello, Mr. Exclusive. As I sit here and digest Bill's Titans heartbreaker, I try to think of something to lift my spirits. One thing I always love to look back on is this team's roster the two or three years before McDermott and Bean took over. I ask you, what made this transformation of the team so special? Why don't we often see this type of turnaround from other teams? Thinking of how people like Eddie Yarborough had meaningful snaps for this defense, or how Vlad Dukas was a starter at one point. And don't even get me started on the depth pieces. Maybe you can add some of your uncanny way with words into it. We all need some happiness, just an idea. By the way, quick PS, listening to you describe football analytics is legitimately a pleasure. One of the things that I think is interesting about the brand that I've been fortunate enough to develop is a lot of people are like, oh, Bruce, he's the analytics guy. I had no intention of being the analytics guy. (laughs) I did not come into this space and was like, you know what, I'll be the analytics guy. Just kind of fell into it. As far as people seem to enjoy that part of it, it seems to be something that I'm uh, effective at communicating. So I always thought that was funny, but I I had no intention of being the analytics guy when I came into the space. It just, I, I don't know. I guess maybe I'm still not the analytics guy, but a lot of people call me that. They're like, oh, he's the analytics guy. I'm like, okay, I guess I'm the analytics guy. So I want to go back to 2018. And I would love to read to you The Buffalo Bills' starting offense in 2018. Josh Allen, rookie. LaShawn McCoy. Patrick DeMarco. Kelvin Benjamin. Zay Jones. Charles Clay. Deion Dawkins. Vladimir Dukas. Russell Bodine. John Miller. Jordan Mills. Mills. Miller. Bodine. Dukas. Jones. And Benjamin. Six of the Bills' starting players on offense that year were really, really not good. Not replacement level, not okay, not middling starters, below average, undesirable starting level players in 2018. One of the things that I think makes Josh Allen so interesting as a story is because he was drafted into an organization that developed him correctly, but the curve on Josh Allen was a lot like the curve on this offense. They didn't really put him in an ideal situation. One of the reasons why it could be argued that they drafted Josh Allen is because they knew he wasn't going to be in an ideal situation. If you're drafting a franchise quarterback At number seven overall, even though you traded up for him, you're probably not a great team to begin with. One of the things that I think needs to be accounted for in scouting quarterbacks that I can't account for because I don't know them personally, but and you're interviewing them, and as you're having conversations and you're doing background, if I put this guy in a situation where everything is going crappy for a year or two, is he going to be Okay. Is he going to make it? I think it's one of the things that makes this story special. It's one of the things that makes it fun. Is that he didn't just come in, dominate from the word go. Josh Allen was not good his rookie year. He was not good. That was not ideal quarterback play. That was markedly below average quarterback play. But he just kept on going. Just like when nobody wanted him in college. He just kept on going. There's a reason why I take to calling Josh Allen, Josh Allen, the improbable. It's because not everybody can do what Josh Allen did. Not everybody can shut up the people that Josh Allen shut up, myself included. Not everybody can tell this story because not everybody has this story to tell. So as you, start to feel a little bummed out, Go talk to your friend who's a Browns fan. Talk to your friend who's a Dolphins fan. Talk to your friend who's a Broncos fan. Talk to your friend who's a Steelers fan. Talk to your friend who's a Jets fan. Ask them how they're feeling right now. Because the Browns, a couple weeks ago, the Browns were like, okay, this is a Super Bowl contending team. Now they're a little bit worried that their backup quarterback might come in, play really well, and start up a controversy with their number one overall pick quarterback. A month and a half ago, the question was, should Baker Mayfield sign a $40-plus million contract? Today, I had a Browns fan tell me that Case Keenum could be their Nick Foles. That's where we're at now, if you're a Browns fan. You have an elite remainder of team that has suffered through massive amounts of injuries and you're still not entirely sure you got the quarterback piece right. The Broncos decided to float the quarterback position. Bring in Teddy Bridgewater. Hopefully, Drew Locke will take that job. He didn't. Drew Locke is not going to be Josh Allen. All the people who thought Drew Locke would take the step the way Josh Allen did. A lot of time, energy, and finger usage was wasted this offseason talking about why Drew Locke could take a jump like Josh Allen, but he got beat out by Teddy Bridgewater instead. None of what happened on Monday night, and especially not one foot on a fourth down sneak, none of that changes anything about this team. So yes, we should feel good about this team. You didn't think I would forget breakout watch and plurality pie, did you? No, I just want to get to emails first, because we got some things to go through. Breakout watch. Dawson Knox, it was not intended to be literal, Dawson. Breakout watch did not mean go break your hand. I'm sorry, guys. sorry. Maybe I should have been a little more specific. Dawson Knox continued to be reliable. I am disappointed that Dawson Knox's year where he stabilized the position is going to be kind of put on hold, put on pause, especially because it's a hand injury. And you just don't want any reason for drop issues to be popping up in the future. But Dawson Knox, we're going to have to put him on hold. Cody Ford is off the breakout watch list right now because he's on the bench. He's off the list because he's on the bench. Tremaine Edmonds, another really, really good game from Tremaine Edmonds. Do not let the fact that Derrick Henry got a really long run stop you from thinking Tremaine Edmonds didn't play well. Tremaine Edmonds had a pause season. In 2021. In 2019 at the end, we expected big things. The trajectory, the arrow was pointing up on Tremaine Edmonds. 2020 was a plateau year. A pause year. It was the blip for Tremaine Edmonds. And they came back and kept right on trugging in 2021. I don't think he's ever played better than he's playing right now. At the very beginning of this year, you will recall... I said on multiple occasions, if you made me make the call right now and say, would you extend Tremaine Edmonds to a big contract? I'd say no. He's played markedly better, markedly better in 2021 than he did in 2020. He's decisive. He's fast. He's physical. All the things that we knew he had in the body to be able to do, everything else is catching up. The aggression's catching up. The intelligence is catching up. Tremaine Emmons is playing really, really well right now. Ed Oliver, he's playing completely fine. He's, play, he's fine. I wish we saw more splashy plays from Ed Oliver. I do. But I think right now, Ed Oliver is a pick up the fifth year option and see kind of player. I think that's where we're at with Ed Oliver. In regards to plurality pie, John Feliciano has the dubious honor of being first on the plurality pie at 19%. I see a lot of people talk about Deion Dawkins, and he's kind of a subject of conversation because he got blown up on the fourth down play. Deion Dawkins is playing fine this year. John Feliciano is not. I'm going to share with you some research I did on Deion Dawkins earlier this week. Deion Dawkins so far this year has allowed one sack, three hits, seven hurries, That's 11 total pressures through 269 pass block snaps this year. At this time last year, he had allowed two sacks, two hits, 10 hurries, 14 total pressures through 245 pass blocking snaps overall. Well, Bruce, what about penalties? Are they different penalties? Yes, they're markedly different in penalties, actually. This year, Deion Dawkins has had four penalties accepted for 35 yards with one declined and one offsetting. Last year in totality, he had four penalties accepted for 25 yards in 2020 with zero declined and two offsetting. The Steelers game was not good and it has impacted Deion Dawkins this year. But aside from those penalties in the Steelers game, he's playing perfectly reasonable about what we're used to seeing. So Deion Dawkins, from a pass blocking standpoint, Pretty reasonable. Well, Bruce, what about run blocking? The Bills over left end, left tackle, and left guard, here are their attempts and their yards per attempt because those are the ones where Deion Dawkins will have the most impact on left end, left tackle, and left guard. Those areas where somebody's going to be touching his gap. Left end, 18 for 87 yards, 4.8 yards of carry. Left tackle, 11 for 42 yards, 3.8. Left guard, 19 for 105 yards, 5.5. In terms of rushing success rate, left end, 65% success rate. Left tackle, 71% success rate. Left guard, 50% success rate. Center, right guard, and right tackle, little different. Center, 41%. Right guard, 43%. Right tackle, 33%. Those are the success rates. Still got some newness on the right side of that line. So from a rushing standpoint, it's been perfectly reasonable. From a pass-blocking standpoint, it's been perfectly reasonable. Deion Dawkins is unfairly getting criticized because he got blown up and tripped over his quarterback, who is already kind of tripping, after he got blown up. Gian Feliciano is a player that this offseason, I flat out said I would not have re-signed. I said I don't want to re-sign meh players. That's part of the book of Bruce. Don't resign meh players. And I think John Feliciano was a meh player. I would not have re-signed him. I openly said it. But John Feliciano, not playing overly well. I think there's a good chance that the Bills exercise the opportunity to get out of John Feliciano's contract, which has a one-year kind of get-out contract. Also, it's not really that bad. You could keep him and have him as a backup. That's not so bad that you can't pull that off. But John Feliciano, in his pass-blocking snaps, has given up 15 pressures in less snaps. So f- almost 50% more pressures than Dawkins in less pass-blocking snaps, 238. So the eye test says he's struggled in pass protection. The metrics say he's struggled in pass protection. Nobody's shocked. At least they shouldn't be, that John Feliciano has struggled in pass protection. So John Feliciano, I don't think, played overly well against the Titans either. Gregory Rousseau, 16%. For the first time really all year, Gregory Rousseau looked like a rookie. And that's okay. The fact that he's here on this list really doesn't bother me that much. He's a rookie. He's going to have games where he's looking like a rookie. He gets washed out inside. That's going to happen. Jerry Hughes, 15%. Same reason. Don't think Jerry Hughes played the run overly well against the Titans. Andre Smith, 13%. Two holding penalties. Other, 37%. Plurality pie: Feliciano 19%, Russo 16%, Jerry Hughes 15%, Andre Smith 13%, other 37%. Ladies and gentlemen, we have done it. We have talked about narratives. We have done Plurality pie. We have touched on the breakout watch. We talked about some of the emails we went through. And that's it. Thank you for joining me. I appreciate the fact that you were willing to come and listen to this show on a week where the Buffalo Bills lost. And I hope that it made your fandom better. I hope I was able to enrich your fandom just a little bit in these 37 minutes. And if I didn't, I'm sorry, but that's the way the cookie crumbles. I'm Bruce Nolan, Buffalo Rumble